Good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you. All right. Okay. It's one of those days. It's not always. It's not always that way. Um, I want to welcome you. Yes, it is Mother's Day. I'll take a brief moment to acknowledge two of my heroes, my mom, who's right there, and my wife, who is at a football game because her husband's a pastor. So there it is. I'm working on Mother's Day, every Mother's Day. Uh, It's really good, really good to be here. And uh, I just love opening God's word. You guys that are in the room, you guys that are at home, recognize today, lots of feelings, all the feels. And so we do well to to lean on the one who hems us in, who comforts and shelters us and even corrects us. And and this morning, we're, we're going to lovingly submit to Jesus and the word that testifies to him. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 22, will you turn in your Bibles there? Uh, we, we preach as a team here at River West. I'm super blessed and honored to be a part of that teaching team. I know that there's church backgrounds where there's like one person who does this. And um, we do it as a team. And it's surprising to some. Like my dad always tells me, he's like, we have a senior pastor. Like, why do you get to preach? And I'm like, thanks, dad. Like, mom, mom would never say that. And, and uh, but we... <laughs> We, do, we try to do everything as a team here, including preaching. And so because of that, I want to kind of draw your minds back to something that was said last week by our senior pastor, Adam. And uh, he said this about the beginning of Luke chapter 22, which we will conclude today. But last week he said this about um, the passage. He says, the primary purpose of this passage is to show that nothing is happening to Jesus by accident. And so all of the ways that Jesus is acting, and now we, we are in literally the final hours of his life before his crucifixion on earth. All these things that are happening, all the things that he is saying and, and putting into motion, they, they really make that reality that nothing is happening by accident to him, even more pressing on our hearts and minds today. And so I want you to keep that truth from last week Nothing is happening by accident. I just want you to keep that in your mind as we read today from the scriptures in Luke chapter 22. We'll start in verse 7 today. And this is God's word. Then came the, the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I might eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it. And just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now I'm going to pause just to say, don't you feel this sort of divine orchestration of these events from Jesus himself? It goes on. It says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes it is as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another which one of them it could be who was going to do this. And this is God's word to us today. The scholar Edward Schweitzer once said this. I think we have this. We can put it on the screen. He said, in contrast to all other religious communities of their time, the early Christians had no temple, no statues, no priests, no special cult. The only visible thing was a table with a meal around which they came together each week. It was the continuation of the table fellowship of Jesus and especially of that meal on the last evening together. It was a definitive gift from God and a central manifestation, listen to this, of the truth the church brought to the world. So today what I want to do is I want to focus our time around the historically central element of Christian gatherings for the last 2,000 years. And it is not preaching and it is not singing, although I would argue that those are essential elements of the gathered church. The central element, though, throughout history has been the communion meal. That's been the thing that the church has gathered around before it had a room, before it had sort of an organized leadership, it, it had a table and Jesus divinely orchestrated it that way. I know some of you, you know, you don't care about sermon titles, but we're going to call this one table talk because we're going to talk about the table that we come to each week. Every week, or I guess it's just about every week, because we didn't last week, but we have this moment in our gatherings where we eat and we, um, we eat the bread and we drink the cup, which is, it's really a vivid reenactment of the death of Jesus. And I'll just say this because nobody has said this yet. It's even more vivid because like in the COVID era, you have to be really careful with packaging and, and what in like the, the bread and the cup that we use, it, it literally tastes like death. You know what I mean? Like you, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's good. So this morning, as we walk through this text, what we're going to do is we're going to think deeply about that meal often called the last supper. And now Jesus used this meal, I think, intentionally and sovereignly to shape the 12 disciples, even the one who would betray him. And what we'll do is we'll consider um, how Jesus continues to form and shape his disciples, communities like us through communion. 
even now. And so I have a headline sentence for our, our sermon today, and it's this. Now, I actually believe this really strongly, and I believe that this is what the text teaches us, that communion shapes the community of Christ to live from the past in the present toward the future. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, what's he talking about? Because that's probably what you're thinking. Let's talk about what it means to live from our past, living from our past. I'll first say what we don't mean. We've all seen people, and, and some of, to be honest, all of us do this, but we live from and out of the elements of our past that have not been dealt with. This could be wounds from our family of origin, could be pain and trauma, could be evils that we have done or that have been done to us. Um, it could be lies that we've been told about our identity. We, we, we know what it looks like when somebody lives from their past in, in that way. But throughout the scripture, God is instructing his people to live from their spiritual past. And he's constantly doing this. And that brings us back to our passage. What's happening here in our passage is that Jesus wants to share a meal with his disciples. He has orchestrated everything so that this can actually happen. That's really the first half of our passage, and we won't look that deeply into it. But what we see happening is that Jesus has got to have this meal. It's urgent to him. Maybe you notice in the way that he talks about it in verse 15, it says, it says this. Our, our translation says, I have earnestly desi desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, the way the Greek literally reads in that sentence is this. With desire, I have desired to eat with you. With desire, I have desired to eat with you. If you're looking for something to say to mom at brunch today, just, you can, no? Okay. Kids are welcome for that one. That word desire is, is emotionally strong, but morally neutral. It's like this deep gut level desire. It could be used to describe like a mother's protective care of her children, her desire for their safety and well-being. Or it's the kind of word that would describe the depths of the lust in King David's heart, which led him to commit adultery and murder. Feel the weight of that word. That's, that's the kind of emotional urgency that Jesus brings into this moment. He says, I have with desire desired to eat with you. And so what Jesus is doing is that he is bringing his disciples into this meal, which represented the supreme act of salvation in Israel's history this meal called the Passover. This meal that Israel had taken for, at this point, thousands of years, this meal defined their past. It actually defined their story, their identity. This was the meal they would take once a year to retell or reenact God's salvation from the oppressive rule of Egypt. 
And so the Passover meal, which this is the meal that they're sharing, included a lot of different elements that we can get into, lamb shanks and bitter herbs. If you've been to, some of you have been to a Passover meal and you know this is long. There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of story told. There's singing and things like that. Um, But the two central elements of the meal were the bread and the cup. So the bread, which was unleavened bread, um, was bread that could be, cooked quickly to represent how swift and decisive the deliverance that God brought his people out of Egypt actually was. 400 years of slavery ended in one night as God struck down the firstborn sons of Egypt. But he passed over the houses of of the Israelites as the blood covered their doorposts. And that blood is represented in the wine that is shared in the Passover meal. And so each year, this feast highlighted this this meal that, that reenacted the story of the Exodus. God's people would eat this meal to remind themselves of who they are, of what God has done, had done for them. And the meal was costly and it was decisive and the salvation was was swift. And what God knew is that the worst thing that could happen to his people would be for them to forget that he had done that. If they lost that memory, if they lost that reality that was their story. Exodus 12, 17 says this, you don't have to turn there. Exodus 12 is really the story of the Passover. And and in it, God says this to Moses. He says, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So this was a meal that would just, it would be passed on from generation to generation. Young kids would grow up in, um, in Israel and they would learn about the redemption of their forefathers. They would learn about the history of their people, how God had brought them out of bondage and out of slavery. And what God is telling Moses is this in Exodus 12. He's saying, you can't forget this. And he tells Moses that, you can read this in Exodus 12. He tells Moses to not forget this before he even does this. He says, what I'm about to do, don't forget it. So think about some of the most important identities and events in your life. What if you forgot them? Imagine if for a day, like like young parents, imagine if for a day you forgot that you were a parent and all the moms said, that's impossible. Imagine dads and sons, if you forgot it was Mother's Day, like right now you're, you're, you're putting this together <laughs> and you're scrolling through Amazon, like is there a drone somewhere to drop something? Like where are the drones? I don't know where they are. Imagine if, if for just for a week you forgot that you had a job, like Wednesday rolls around, you're like, am I supposed to be somewhere? Students, I know there's students in here. I was a student for way too long and uh, you, you've forgotten to write a paper before, right? Like you've forgotten an assignment was due. That's like the moment of, of sheer terror. You're like, oh yeah. Like you're sitting in class and everybody turns in something and you're like, I, I didn't know. I don't even know why we're here. So 
Forgetfulness is on the one hand, it's, it's a funny thing and we resonate with it, but we also know how tragic it is, right? How tragic the sort of losing of memories can be. And I know that some of you have lived with that reality, maybe with aging parents, of, of walking with a parent as, as they struggle to remember. Now, I remember, I remember my dad when, when my when my grandma Franny was near the end of her life, they'd be on the phone and like 20 minutes in, she'd be like, wait, who are you again? We, we, that, that weight of forgetfulness of, of the loss of memory and, um, is tragic in our lives. We feel that that's, that's a part of our broken world. So let me ask you this, what if you forgot, what if we forgot that the God of the universe had saved us? That he'd redeemed you, that he'd adopted you into his family. He'd changed the whole trajectory of your life, gave you a new heart, filled you with purpose in the future. What if you forgot that? What if we forgot that? I wanna show you something. We've been in Luke for so long, that we can forget some of these key moments that have happened in this. So I'm going to invite you to actually turn in the book of Luke to chapter 9. Chapter 9 is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So we'll be in verses 29. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and many of Jesus's big moments are on a mountain. And, and this is like, this is the moment at this point in the Gospel of Luke. Peter and John and James are there with Jesus. They all fall asleep and he's praying. That's a common theme. You'll see that in the next couple weeks in the Gospels. Jesus praying, disciples are sleeping. And here's what happens. In verse 29 it says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So here's Jesus on the mountain and he's talking with Moses. And our Bibles say they're, they're talking about his departure. But do you know what that word actually is? Exodus. Jesus is on the mountain talking with Moses about his exodus. Jesus is talking about this rescue plan, this redemption that is about to come in and through his life in Jerusalem very shortly. Jesus is talking with Moses about that. What's happening here is that Jesus has had this divinely orchestrated plan to tell the story of the world through his life. How he would save not just God's people, but the world. Back to Luke 22. Listen to this. In verse 19, in our passage, Jesus says this, as they're sitting at the table, it says, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Now listen to this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus has not yet died. 
And yet he tells his disciples what's about to happen. So what does, what does God do with Moses? God tells Moses, here's what's going to happen. Never forget it. What does Jesus do with his disciples? He says, this is what's going to happen. Never forget it. That word remembrance is, is everything in this passage. It's so important. The word remembrance, uh, the Greek word for it is on omnesis. Look at your neighbor and say on omnesis. Well done. Well done. That word means to bring to mind. That word means to, it's a deliberate recollection done to better appreciate the effects of an event that has taken place. On omnesis. Does that sound like an English word to you? It's where we get our English word amnesia. So we know what that is. But what's spiritual amnesia? It's if we forgot that God had saved us, that he'd raised us. If we had forgotten that he had given us a new name and adopted us into his family, that's the kind of amnesia that Jesus in his life is saying, we're going to work against that. I'm going to show you the way to not forget what I've done for you. And this interesting thing about Luke in his gospel is he gives us these, these realities of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not so much through like theological um, statements, but through story and experience. And he writes says this, he says, when Jesus wanted to explain to his disciples what his death meant, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. He said, eat this. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so that's why we come to the table. To live from our past. From our spiritual past. From redemptive history. And the second thing is this. Communion, it, not only does it show us how to live from the past, communion shapes us to live toward the future. I want to talk about the future with you. So as a, as a pastor, a lot recently people have, have asked me, do you think this is the end of the world? And I always say the same thing. I really hope so. And then the conversation will move towards, okay, give me the timeline. Let's crack the code together of all the events in our world and where they fit into the Bible and... Uh, just, just do you, have you cracked the code? No, I haven't. We haven't. And we don't try to. But I do want to take this moment to invite you on June 6th to the forum here, our Friday night forums. We're going to talk about eschatology. We're going to talk about the study of the last things, of the return of Christ and how we believe that that is coming that Jesus will return soon. And we'll focus in on what the Bible tells us about that. But most importantly, we'll think together about how, what it looks like to live as disciples of Jesus in light of his coming. So what does that have to do with the Last Supper? 
Well, in the Last Supper, there's this interesting dynamic of the way Jesus talks about what's happening. And I want to show it to you. It's in verses 14 to 18. We're going to read from our passage again. And, and this, I want you to listen to what Jesus says and how he looks ahead. So it says, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he's looking ahead. But then he says, I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so Jesus takes the cup. And, and, and remember, he, he's transforming the Passover meal and saying, this meal has, has always looked ahead to me. And here I am. And Jesus says, I want you to take this meal looking ahead to the reality that I will return. He doesn't give an infinite amount of details. He just gives them this rhythm in their life. Say, I want you to live your life with your eyes set on the future. We take communion with our eyes set on the future so that we can live faithfully in the present. This is the way Paul describes communion in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is sort of like our passage that we often go to when we receive communion together on a Sunday morning. We're reading this thing and, it, and it's actually from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 writing to a real church about communion. And he actually quotes Jesus when he says this. And I love this, the directness and the simplicity of these words. I want you to listen to this. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, starts in verse 23, Paul says this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So remember, we're, we're looking back. We're looking back to the realities of the cross, of what God has done for us in Christ. But then look, listen to this. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you see that? We come to the table to ground ourselves in our spiritual history, but with our hopes set on our spiritual destiny. We're looking back and we're looking forward. And that's why communion is, this is why we do this each week, because it's an act of trust. An act of trust, not in what is seen, but what is unseen. It might not look like God knows what he's doing when we look around at our world, but in fact, he does. It might not seem that he's working all things for good and for his glory, but he actually is. It might seem like God's done with his church, but he's not. 
The church is God's plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. He's working in this world through his people. And so we set our eyes on that truth, that reality every single week. We look ahead to our eternal hope. And that helps us to live in the present, in the moments that we're actually in, with the people that we actually interact with. Communion shapes us to live from the past toward the future and also in the present. And that's where I want to finish our time this morning. I'm going to invite Pete to come up and and play for just a little bit. Pete, you in here? I told the band I would invite them up by my favorite, like one by one. I'm kidding. That's, That's stupid. In communion, when we're at at the table, we are being formed as disciples of Jesus in the moment. Yes, looking ahead. Yes, looking back. But we believe that, that something transformational is happening for our lives right here and right now. I wanted to give you, just in, in closing today, I want to give you three words to consider. The first word is invitation. So I want to be clear. When we talk about the communion table that we come to each week, the communion meal is for believers in Jesus. To that end, it's it's exclusive. It's it's, it's for those who, who would take this meal in faith. We're not like offering a snack at the end of a long sermon like this one. It's, it's a meal for believers. But I just want to draw you into the reality of Jesus around the table. And, and, and I want to invite you to think about who's there. The, the end of our passage talks about Judas. And it's a warning. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's like woe to the one who would betray Jesus. And we sit with the reality of sin betrayal and evil and the evil one who stands behind all of it. And yet Judas is invited to the table. Who else is around the table? Peter and John. Peter and John will cower in fear within a few hours. They'll abandon Jesus. They'll deny him. So we've got betrayers and deniers. But in a matter of days, they'll go from apostates who deny knowing Jesus to apostles who would gladly die for him, and and they actually do. There's Simon the Zealot, Matthew the tax collector. These guys don't hang out. They're so far away from each other in in their like political beliefs, like Republican and Democrat, those are just like too soft of words to describe the divide between a zealot and a tax collector. And here they are, they're at Jesus's table. All kinds of sinners. 
And again, the communion table, the meal is for believers in Jesus. But who's invited to the table? Everyone, even you, even me. Only Jesus could bring this kind of community together. His life was an invitation. Is your life an invitation? Is your view of the people that that sort of like you loathe maybe on the internet or in your actual life, did you know they're invited to the table? Jesus' table is wide open. It's narrow, but it's wide open to any who would believe. So who gets the invitation to sit at your table or your COVID-safe barbecue in your backyard? Who's invited? The second word is this. The word is proclamation. I want to consider this idea of proclaiming. Paul talks about this ordinance of communion as a proclamation. He says, every time that you eat and that you drink, you proclaim Jesus till he comes. So each week we come to the table and we open this package and, and that sound throughout the room is a proclamation. We proclaim Jesus and nothing else really. We proclaim Jesus. We worship Jesus. We center our lives around Jesus. We unify around Jesus. Communion reminds us of our current occupation to proclaim Christ until he comes. I heard this said recently, and I I love it. I didn't make it up, but you can use it. God doesn't need lawyers to defend him. He wants witnesses to testify about him. And so our witness to the world is communion, is this meal, an open table, an invitation. The third word is this, participation. So we've got invitation, proclamation, participation. Jesus says this, he says, do this. When Paul talks about this passage, he says, do this. It's this emphatic nature of of Jesus's instruction. Jesus is showing us a salvation that we could never accomplish, but somehow we are invited to participate in. And so there's this relational aspect of the communion meal. We participate relationally. I want you to just like, when you go home, read 1 Corinthians 11. We, that's where we get these few verses about taking the Lord's Supper together, but the story around it is about the messiness of relationships. Paul in that passage to the Corinthian church says this, it's heavy. He says, I don't think I can even call what you're doing the Lord's Supper because the poor come hungry, starving, and the rich 
become full and even drunk. And you call that the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, I I hate your divisions. Paul says the communion table, the Lord's table is to be a place where we are reminded of, yes, the sacrifice of Jesus, but yes, the way of Jesus. Good news for the poor. It's entirely possible to eat this and drink this and not do this. Do you hear me? Judas is there around the table. Did he eat this? Did he drink this? Not in faith. And he certainly didn't do this. I'll end with this. John 13, Jesus is in this same scene and John doesn't really record the the meal itself. He He simply shows Jesus get on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples. And what does he tell them? Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that we we have this gift in the moments that we share. We have this meal that doesn't just inform us, transforms us. We welcome your transformation in our life. We welcome the opportunity to proclaim your death till you come. So Lord, by your spirit, lead us into this deliberate recollection of our salvation. With our eyes set forward on your return. And would you transform us to be your witnesses in every moment to invite people to the table, to invite people to this gathering, to proclaim Christ as not a way, but the way, the only way to eternal life is in him. And Lord, may our lives be lived out sacrificially in such a way, Lord, that the world sees you as you really are. Amen.